Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Glory to God. Well, how do we walk in this victory? How do we, how do we walk in this victory? Well, as we began last week, it, it's simple enough. We got to find our foundation, church. We got we to gotta find our identity in Him. Amen. In Christ, in Christ alone. It needs to be in Christ. We can't have our identity in anything else, church. It can only be in one thing and one thing alone. There's a Latin phrase that, that has been, that was spoken out for, for centuries and it's called solo Cristo. And I'm telling you, that sums it up right there. It means Christ alone. There's nothing else. Christ alone. There's nothing else. It's not Christ plus something's going to get us into salvation. It's not Christ plus anything gets us to salvation. I'm telling you, it's Christ alone, full stop. And if we can get our identity in Him, full stop, I'm telling you, everything then will be revealed. Everything will be released through that revelation of being in Him and in Him alone. Amen? Because Christ alone brings salvation. How many, how many of y'all know that? Christ alone is where we get our salvation, not just your get out of hell pass. I'm telling and you, you're resc- you being rescued, being delivered, being healed. All this is summed up in what salvation is. And it comes in him alone. So what do we have to offer? Huh? What do we have to bring to the table? What can we offer if, if everything is in Christ alone? Listen, listen to me. Nothing. You have nothing to offer for your salvation. There, there is nothing that we can do to, to receive, nothing you can do to earn the salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn your healing. There's nothing you can do to earn a closeness and a unity with God. There's nothing you can do that can earn him to love you more. I'm telling you, it's already been poured out. It's solo crystal. It's, it's, it's him. It's him alone, and it's already been done for each and every one of us. I'm telling you, church, that is some amazing stuff. That's amazing stuff that most people don't understand. They're still doing their best to work their hard to do, to cross every I and dot every, cre- uh, dot every T just to make sure Jesus will love them. I'm telling you, he already loves you. He gave it all up for you. You don't have to earn these things. You just got to receive it. Amen. We got to receive it. We got to trust in these things, believe in these things, and begin to operate them. You know, it's just like, it's like writing a check. Right. You know, see, you can if you have a if you have a checkbook and you, and you know you have money in account. Right. You, you look at say, I got money there. You write a check and then you go to someone you don't and you, you give them the check. You give the business the check or whatever. Now. Now, when you do that, you don't sit there and say, oh, man, I, ho- I hope I hope I have the money in the account. I hope the bank releases the, the money so it can it can pay this. and I don't lose my mortgage. That, that's not what you do. Right. Now, you you believe it because you looked and you saw that there's money in that account. You write the check and then you, you bring it to the mortgage company or whoever you're giving it to. Amen. You have no doubt about it. You have faith in it. Well, listen, this is the, the same way we got to begin to trust in the things of God. We need to grab a hold of this word and listen to everything that Jesus has told us. I'm talking about from the beginning all the way to the end. Grab a hold of these things. Know what it is. Begin to write the check on it with our mouth by confessing the word of God. And these things will begin to manifest in your life. But you're going to have to have faith in it. You're going to have to trust it. See, I'm telling you, church, most of us believe more in our banking system than we do in the Bible. And I'm telling you, that, that, that's, that's disgusting. You know, I'm telling you, the, bank, the banking system is not here for you. Amen? The banking system will rob you if they can. But see, we, we tend to put our trust more in our banks and what they can do for us than we can in the Word of God. And why is that so? Why is that so? Because we're in an identity crisis. Amen. We have an identity crisis and we need to, we need to establish our identity in him. Amen. We have to establish our identity in him. Go with me here to Mark. Let's go to Mark chapter eight. This is, I was, this is, I think we'll, we'll kind of tie into this nicely here. I think I said Mark, didn't I? Mark chapter eight. Yeah, this is a, a, another story that we all know well, but, uh, but I, I just want to point something out to you here before we go into John chapter 3. Those are going to be the two pieces of text I go into. But in, uh, in Mark chapter 8, in, in the very beginning here, this is Jesus coming to, to feed the 4,000, okay? It says, In those days, the multitudes being verily great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto them and said unto them, I have compassion upon the multitudes because they now have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. He goes, If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for, for many have come from great distances or for divers have, have come from very far. You know, Jesus, he was sitting there looking at the crowd of this 
4,000 people. And he knew all people, you know, came from all over the place. And, he, and, he, and a compassion began to well up on the inside of him. He said, you know what? We need to do something to feed these people. Because if I, if I just send them along, their, along the way, they haven't eaten a couple days. And, and they may get faint. They may pass out. They may die along, along the way. So I'm gonna, I, we need to do something about this. Amen. But what was Jesus trying to do here? Why was he speaking to his disciples about it? See, he didn't say, you know, I am going to be doing something about that. That's not what Jesus said, was it? He said, I have compassion. We, we need to do something about this situation. Amen. We need to, we need to get, you know, we need, uh, I have compassion for the multitude. Let's do something for these people. Let's do something for these people. He says, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they'll be faint and fall, fall by the way. What was Jesus doing? He was trying to give them a permission. Amen. Giving them uh, the ability to do something about the situation. Amen. Jesus was, uh, Jesus will always set us up. He'll always put us in the position to where we can do what he's calling us to do, what he's training us to do. Amen. See, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that, that you have to have the strength to do it, but Jesus will put us in the position. He'll put us in the direction to where we can step into what he is training us to do. To, to reach our calling, to reach our destiny, the things that he has upon our life. And that's exactly what he was doing here. So what was he talking to the disciples? He said, look, look at all these people. They're hungry. We need to do something about it. What was he doing? He was giving them a permission to become what God has asked them to be. But let's, let's check how the, the disciples answered this here. And the disciples answered him and said, from, from whence can a man satisfy these men with the bread here in the wilderness? Let me, let me hit that and amplify it. It says, and his disciples replied to him, how can anyone fill and satisfy these people with loaves of bread here in this desolate and inhabited region? You know, the disciples are like, who can satisfy, who can satisfy this multitude of people? We're out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. Who, who can satisfy these people? I'm telling you, Jesus is so good. He has so much patience with us. He has so much patience with us. Because you know, if it was me, I would have said, you know, flip back two chapters to Mark chapter 6 and you'll find we already fed 5,000. But, you know, it wasn't just 5,000. Most uh, historians say it was 10, 15, 20,000 people that were actually fed in there because there's only 5,000 men. When you add the wives and the children, you know, there was the multitude there. This was already taking place. Jesus was giving them the opportunity to step into what he just did two chapters back. Amen. And he was giving the opportunity one more time, putting a before him. Boys, what are we going to do about this? No one can do it. What do you mean no one can do it? It just happened. You know, what meant a week ago, a month ago, however long ago that was in two chapters, it already happened. Amen. But see, even if you go back into Mark chapter six, Jesus, given that opportunity for them to, to stand in faith, to do something, it wasn't, this wasn't something new. You know, when Jesus looked out, these people said, well, we need to feed all these multitudes out here. This wasn't something new that took place. Amen. See, these, he, who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to the Gentiles. He was talking to some Jew boys, right? That knew the Bible. The Jews knew the Bible. They started up as we little boys and we little girls, and they made them study the word of God because it was part of their heritage. They knew the Bible inside and they knew the Bible outside on the Old Testament side of things. So when he looked and said, man, these multitudes need to be filled, he was trying to get them out of their, out of their flesh, out of the carnal things and begin to get them to step into the supernatural. Let, let, me, let, me, let me prove that out to you here in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. Yes, in 2 Kings chapter 4, in the Amplified here, it says, And at another time, he goes, A man from Baal Shalisha came and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in the husks. And, and in his sack, and Elijah said, Give it to the men that they may eat. Give it to the men that they may eat. And his servant said, How, how am I to set, to set only this before a hundred hungry men? And he said, Give it to the men uh, that they may eat, for the Lord says they shall be fed and have some left. That they shall be fed and have something left. So he set it before them, and they ate 
and they had something left. You know, so what was Jesus pointing out? What am I trying to point out? Jesus knew all the way back into the days of Elijah. He was sitting here with a hundred of the prophets, a hundred of his family, and a guy came in to give an offering. He came to give a tithe, right? And he, he came with 20 loaves of bread and a, and a few ears of corn or ears of wheat or whatever it was in the husk. And he, he brought it and set it before him. And Elijah said, praise the Lord, now we have food to feed the people. Now we have enough to feed all these hungry men that haven't had anything to eat in a while. And they're like, what? And his servant said, what do you mean? This isn't enough to feed that. This can barely feed a, a quarter of these people. And he said, no, the Lord says, feed it to them. It'll be multiplied and you're not, and you'll have some left over. It's the same thing that happened in Mark chapter six. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus was trying to give opportunity for these things to come to pass. He was trying to allow his supernatural to get them to operate in the supernatural, get out of the natural, allow his super to be added to their natural, amen, and do something amazing for God, amen. But just like many of the church today... Just like many of us, I wouldn't say most of us, but many of us, when Jesus is sitting there handing us forward opportunities to where we can do something supernatural, you know, like lay hands on the sick, you know, like cast the devil out of someone, you know, bring peace into someone's life, bring joy into someone's life. You know, he he sets us up for these opportunities and puts us into these people's places, but we never recognize because we're so in the carnal, in the carnal sense. Oh, I don't know if God can do that through me. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't, I don't know if this can happen. I don't know if that can happen when Jesus. Jesus himself is setting you up for victory, to, for you not only to have victory in your life, but victory in someone else's life. See, see, disciples, see, their, their, their lives didn't just, the, the fruition of their identity, let me say, didn't, didn't come until, until Acts chapter 2. Amen. To where they were there in Acts chapter one, they they were praying. You know, uh, the Jesus came down and said they need to they need to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon them. So what did they do? They jumped into a ten day prayer meeting. Amen. They they replaced Judas with with uh, Matthias, and then and then the power of God came upon them on the tenth day, on the day of Pentecost. I mean, fifty days after after Jesus died and was resurrected. You know, Pentecost came. The Holy Ghost came upon them, and then their identity in Him became solid. It became it became known, they begin to not only believe what the word said, they begin to operate on it. The very first thing they did is they, they stepped outside, preached a sermon, got, got 3,000 people saved. The very next day, they pulled up a guy at the gate, gate uh, called Beautiful, raised him up, amen, and got another 2,000 people saved as they were ministering in front of the scribes. I'm telling you, it was amazing. Everywhere they went, their shadows started healing people. They started casting out devils, raising up the dead. Why? Because they, they found their identity when the Spirit of God came upon them and, and made them new. They found their identity, church. We, we need to jump into this place and get out of religion and become in him. And become in him, in Christ. See, until we, until we get to that place of being in him, none of these things are going to be opened up for us. They're there. But then, when I say they're not going to be opened up, you're not going to have the boldness to walk through that door, amen, and perform the things that the Lord is having us to do in each and everything in our lives. So we see... So we see that uh, he gathered up. He gathered up the bread, the bread. He blessed it, Amen. Then here in verse eight, it says, "And they did eat, and they were filled, and they took up the broken meat which was left. And they had seven baskets. They had seven baskets left, and just like all the way back to, to Mark chapter six, and all the way back to Second Kings chapter four, Amen. When he when they allowed God to do something supernatural, they they came back with more than they had." I'm telling you, that's absolutely amazing if you think about these things. You know, Jesus, Jesus had no problem with his identity. See, this is why he's our, our benchmark. You know, not preachers, not mom and dad. You know, Jesus is, is our benchmark in everything we do. Why? Because see, he knew, he knew exactly who his identity was. He knew the Father was in him, reconciling the world back to himself. He knew these things were, uh, were, was who he was, and he began to operate in everything that the Lord had asked him to do. You know, I love this Jesus. You know, as, as, as uh, the disciples said, can any man feed these people? You know, Jesus piped up and said, yeah, I am that any man. I am the any man that can satisfy the hunger. I am the any man that can satisfy a union or intimacy with any man. 
with any man. No man shall be hungry. No man shall be without union. No man shall be without intimacy in him. He is that any man. I'm telling you, that is, that is powerful. It's powerful knowing that. Uh, hmm. Knowing that in Christ, in him, revelation. Amen. I'm telling you, our, our identity is an important thing, church, that we need to get lined out. It is an important thing that we need to get lined out. You know, I had the same issues in my own life that many, many of you in here are having. You know, many people that are watching that are having. I'm telling you, I, I, I had these same issues. I had to deal with these things in my life. It's not something that's just pertinent into you that's sitting there listening to these things. Everyone has to deal with these things. Everyone has to come into the position where they understand who their identity is, where they release the carnal identities and allow his identity to take, to take full, full-blown grasp in their life. Amen. You know, when the Lord began to call me in, call me into ministry and I was still in business, I, you know, I was married to my wife and then we, you know, he began to, to of course, you know, uh, my only wife, amen. And, uh, <laughs> But uh, when he began to call me into, into ministry, I got involved with an evangelistic biker ministry that, that ministered unto the outlaw biker world. You know, the, you know, the hell's angels, the banditos, the outlaws, the sons of silence, you know, all, all, all the one percenters that are around the world. We, we had that opportunity to go in and minister unto these people. And, and as, I, as I got into this ministry, there's some, something that started stirring on the inside of me that was like, you know, you, you really need if, to find out who you are if you're going to be successful in this ministry. Because I had many different things that are just twisted off going going off on the inside of me because my foundation my identity wasn't wasn't sealed amen it wasn't it wasn't firm so if I was going to be successful in this I needed to get a few things changed in my life amen and it's not it's not because this it's not because that ministry was dangerous but it was it's not because the feds thought that you were undercover outlaws yourself but they did you know, it wasn't about any of that. It was because it, the danger was that my identity was fixing to get me off track into what God was calling me to do. You say, well, what do I mean by that? You know, I had, I had several different identities or foundations of what I thought my identity was, and it wasn't in Christ, number one. Amen. It wasn't in him. Listen, I was saved. I was full of the Holy Ghost. Man, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen. But my identity was in in crisis. You say, what is that? Well, firstly, I thought I was a businessman. Amen. I was a businessman, but my identity was in that being a businessman. If someone asks, what do you do? I am a businessman. I own bar gas. I do this. I do that. This is who I am. Amen. And I'm telling you, that business took over precedence in everything in my life. It took precedence over, over the ministry. It took precedence in what God was asking me to do. It took precedence over my wife until I got this identity straightened out in my life. That was, that was my first identity. I, I, I didn't just stop there. I had two different identities. I had, I had an identity in a business. I had an identity in, in the gangster lifestyle I wanted to live. You know, I've talked about this uh, many times. You know, my wife, this can kind of show you how different we grew up. You know, my wife, when she was a wee, a wee girl, she, she, wanted, she had dreams and aspirations about being an FBI agent, amen, going to, going to solve all these different crimes and these different mysteries. And she, she was fascinated with those things, and she thought it was powerful. But see, when I was growing up, I was fascinated with mobsters, amen. I was fascinated with the mobster lifestyle and the gangster. That, that's what I wanted to do. That's, that, that was my dream to get, to get into that. Why? Because they had power. They had respect. They had loyalty. They had money. They had honor. And these are the things that I was driving after. I, was, I didn't care about solving a mystery. I, I wanted those things. Amen. I wanted those things in my life. And I'm telling you, as a young minister, ministering into the outlaw world, I mean, this posed a great problem in my life. It posed a great problem in my life. I'm sitting here trying to minister to people that I was infatuated with. I'm telling you, that, that posed a, a very big problem in my life. Why is that? Because, see, the adversary can begin to manipu manipulate your call. 
Amen. So, so instead of listening to hear from the Holy Ghost and what I'm, what I'm going to do, I, I can start hearing different things, different voices, different people speaking to me saying, you know, you know why, why are you in the ministry trying to minister to these people? If you want to do some really good, well, you just need to join these, join one of these clubs, get involved with one of them. Then you can be a chaplain and then you can go face to face. You can probably do even, even more work there. You know, you can, you can talk about Jesus, do a little bit of that stuff, you know, have one foot in the Jesus thing, but then you can have your other foot in the, in the outlaw world. You get to wear all the colors. You know, when you walk down the street, people are in fear and it's all this amazing different stuff. You can, you can play both parts of it, right? But you know what that would have done? I wouldn't be here preaching today if I would have yielded to that. Well, I'm not saying those things can't be done. I mean, there's, there's, there's many people, that's their call, and praise God for those people that will yield unto those things and do what the Lord's asking them to do. But I'm telling you, that wasn't my call. That wasn't what the Lord was asking me to do. My, the Lord was asking me to minister the word, not, not step into that and try to, try to have two different personalities, amen. But I'm telling you, I had to get my identity straight. I had to get my identity straight, not yield to, not yield to worldly lusts of power and fear and authority and loyalty, amen. As I came to this place, thinking, you know, Lord, I think this would be a really good idea, but I don't really know if that's the right thing to do, you know. And I started having all these different thoughts going, going through my mind. I was, uh, I was involved in, a, uh, in this ministry, a, 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 a mentor, a spiritual leader in my life. His name is Pastor Ben Priest. He was speaking in a meeting. I can't remember if it was a church meeting or if it was a meeting for this ministry we're involved with. But but he he began to speak in this and he he started piping up and he said, you know, there's some there's some I, there's some some of you out there that are having some issues. Amen. You're having you're having stress issues. You're having indecision issues. You're having peace issues. You're having fulfillment issues and what you're calling to do. And he goes, I'm here to tell you why you're having these issues. And my ears perked up because see that I had this. I was torn in two different ways. And you know, and, it, and my ears picked up. And he said you have an identity crisis. You have an identity crisis and you need to get these things solved today. Amen. You have an identity crisis. He goes, because if I'm going to ask you, who are you today? What meant most of you would say, I'm a biker, right? Those that don't say that, you'd say, I'm a businessman. Those who don't say that, you say, oh, I'm a minister, or I'm a pastor, I'm this, or I'm that. Some people say, I'm, you know, I'm involved in this, or I'm involved in that. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, all these, all of us would have these identities in what we do, not an identity in him. I mean, none, none of the people, when that question was asked, none of them say, who are you? What do you do? Oh, I run, I run a business. I do this and that. You know, no, <laughs> that, cause that's what your identity's in. Am I making myself clear? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Instead of saying, who are you? Man, I'm I'm a son of the living God. I'm I'm one that's been redeemed. Let me tell you a little bit of a story about where I came from or where I am now. You know, where where is your identity in? Most of us aren't saying, oh, I'm I'm a diakonos. I'm I'm a minister of the gospel. Most of us definitely aren't saying, I'm a doulos. What what every single one of the apostles were doing back in the day is saying, I'm a doulos. Who are you? I'm a bond slave. I'm a slave unto Jesus by choice because, because I've sold out my life and taken up his to change everything about me. You know, see, we don't don't say that. No, we're businessmen. We're bikers. I'm a Texan. I'm an Irishman. I'm a Northern Irishman. I'm this or I'm that. <laughs> no, honey, I'm telling you, you need to get to the place where, where I am a slave for the living God. I, I, I've given up my life. I've given up everything about me and I choose to place my identity in the King. That is, that is above every King. Yeah, the King Jesus himself. This alone will allow you to not have these things your calling manipulated in your life. Amen. So I ask you, church, what is your identity in? I'm telling you, you need to get this, these things solved. What, what is your identity in? Hmm? What, what is our identity in? I'm telling you, this day was the day I, I committed myself and I, and I fixed my identity. And I'm telling you, it opened up the door for amazing opportunities in ministry. Amen. For, from one that was just getting started in ministry, doors just flung open. And I, I began to advance in the things of the kingdom. Why? Because God could trust me with the things he was putting in my hands, knowing that it's not going to harm me. It wasn't going to harm my family. It wasn't going to harm anything that I was involved with. It, I was able to do exactly what he called me to do, specifically because I changed my identity. 
I released my carnal identities and picked up his identity. Amen. So what so what's yours? Amen. What's your identity in? Listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying for you people listening out there, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not full of the Holy Ghost, but what I am saying is you don't know your identity. Until you can understand your identity in Christ. I'm telling you, church, you're gonna be you're gonna be struggling. It's solo Cristo. It's it's Christ alone. It's Christ alone. And I mean that sounds that sounds so foreign, I think, to some people because it's what about this? What about that? I'm telling you, yeah, praise the Lord. I was still a businessman after I changed my identity. Matter of fact, I became an amazing businessman. Why? Because I didn't have to do it all by myself. I allowed him to work through me. Amen. Yes, I still love to ride motorcycles. I still love to minister to outlaws, but listen, I didn't have to get myself in the way of that. He was able to open up doors and I could do amazing things in that ministry. It, it opened up the door to end up sending us over here to Ireland and doing different things. But it was all from one place, and that is changing our identity. Amen? Your identity can't be in your jobs. Huh? It, can't, it can't be in being an amazing you know, worship team. It can't be in your family. I'm telling you, it can't be in your church. It can't be in your church. It can't be in your husband and your wife. It can't be in the denomination you grew up in. Hmm? I'm telling you, it has to be in him and him alone. Him and him alone. You know, the word says at the end of, uh, of Mark chapter 16, it talks about Jesus confirmed the word with signs following. The last statement of Mark. So as they got filled up with the Holy Ghost and Jesus gave them the commission, they went out and they, they began to do what? They began to preach the word. They didn't preach a denomination. They didn't preach a doctrine. They didn't preach their intellect. They didn't preach thoughts. They preached the word. And when they preached the word, there was one thing that followed, signs. See, Jesus, Jesus, will, Jesus will confirm your word with signs. He's not, he won't confirm your opinions with signs. Jesus will confirm his word with signs. He's not going to confirm your denominational doctrine with signs. No, he'll confirm the word with signs. He's not going to confirm the part of Ireland you grew up in. He'll confirm the word with signs, wonders, and miracles, and everything that he is trying to do through each and every one of us. Amen. Let's, um, let's, let's, go, let's go over there to, to, to John 3. Let's, John 3. I'm going to finish this up. This will be my last bit of scriptures today. Now, regarding our the topic of our identity, getting our identity in Christ. This is a this is a major doctrine. This is a major teaching that Jesus gave us that we have got to get settled. Amen. We're going to teach on the subject of being born again because I'm telling you for one specific reason because there's many people in this land here that have their identity and what part of the island they grew up in. What part of the railroad tracks they grew up in. Amen. What denomination they grew up in as opposed to, 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 into Jesus himself and what the word says about these things. Amen. As I said last week, I'll reiterate that again. Listen, <clears throat> I didn't, I did not coin the phrase being a Christian. Amen. I've never even thought I'd have to say this from a pulpit until I moved over into this land. Amen. I, I, did, I didn't coin the phrase Christian. I'm telling you, Catholics didn't uh, uh, coin the phrase Christian. Neither did the Protestants. I'm telling you, you know, who, you know who coined this phrase? It was the Syrians off in Antioch in Acts chapter 11 when they were looking towards these, this awesome, powerful church that was planted right in the middle of Antioch where Barnabas and Paul and many of these guys were out. They looked at them and said, man... Those people over there, I man, they sure look like Jesus. They sure like that. They look like that Christ one. 
You know, the words that they begin to speak, they sure sound like a whole lot of those words that that Jesus was saying. You know, the the things that they're doing, the healing of the sick, releasing joy, giving to the poor, raising the dead up. Man, they sure look like that one that was called the Christ. They sure look like the one that was called the Messiah. And they call them Christians. The first time it was ever mentioned in Acts chapter 11 in Syria and in, in, in the city called Antioch because it was a people that, that they identified as being just like Christ. I'm telling you, many of us now, nowadays, I, I don't even see how we, can, <laughs> how we can wear that badge of honor being called a Christian. Most of us don't believe what these things have to say, but, oh, you know, we're a Christian. Why? Because I grew up in this nation. Because I went to this school growing up. I did this or I did that. And I'm telling you, that, that, that statement back in those days was a badge of honor. It wasn't something that they were saying it politely. Amen. It wasn't like, oh, those are, those are wonderful Christians. It was like, oh, they're, those are those ones that are like that guy that got crucified over there. It wasn't something that was a positive thing. Amen. But it's what they nicknamed them for whom they looked like. Amen. So what does it mean to be reborn? What does it mean to be reborn? Amen. I'll tell you what, it's not an identifier if you, what side of the border you grew up in. Hmm? It's not an identifier if you're a Catholic or a Christian or a Protestant or a Baptist or a Methodist. Or Pentecostal, yeah, that's not that's not the identifier for it. It's something that Jesus has spoken to us about. In John chapter three, verses one, it says there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He goes, the same came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no man can do these miracles. No man can do these miracles. Listen, this is just after Jesus performed his first miracle, stepped off into ministry, and he turned the water into wine at the, at the wedding festival, right? And then we had this guy named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. He was one that was a leader of the Jews, amen. And he came into this man called Jesus and he said, listen, I know you're a great teacher. I know you're a great teacher. So he came to him by night. Now, why did, why did this man come to him by night? Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? I'm telling you because he was in fear of a religion. He was, he was in fear of the other, other religious leaders of that day, that what they may say if he's like, you know, I'm in agreement with this guy. There's something, there's something about him. Amen. So he came in the secret place, amen, to where he could have a secret conversation with them. You say, why is that? Because religion is against anything that threatens its power. I'm telling you, religion is against anything that threatens its power. See, this is how you can know if something's religious or not. If something, if something's here trying to gain power, I'm telling you, that's religious. If something is pointing you to the power, I'm telling you, that, that's Christianity. Amen. Not, not gathering and grabbing a hold of that power, but pointing you to the power. That is called Christianity. But they came up to him and they said, Rabbi. Now, that's, this is interesting here. He came and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and you come from God. For no man can do these things that you do except God is with us. He says, we know, I know, many of us Pharisees, many of us religious leaders over here, we know that you have been sent from God. Why? Because of the miracles that you're doing. But even in this time, if you think about it, even in this time, you had the magicians, you had uh, the sorcerers, wizards, all these different types of, types of people, you know, operating in demonic power, which we still do today. Amen. Why? Because the adversary, there is dark power. Amen. And they, they do exist. Amen. And people can operate in those things. But see, that nothing was creative like it was in Jesus. I mean, I know that Jesus, he had creative power. Amen. When it talks about the maimed, y'all know what that means when, when it says that he healed the maimed. The maimed is people that didn't have legs. Maybe they didn't have arms. They didn't have ears. They didn't have something. When he healed them, that means legs jumped out of their body. That means arms jumped out of their sockets. Amazing things like this took place when he healed the maimed. See, the devil can't do these things. I mean, he didn't have that kind of creative power like Jesus. Jesus is the one, just like the Jesus that's in each inside of each, each in the inside of each and every one of us. We can go to someone that doesn't even have eyeballs in their sockets, and we can lay hands on them, and a creative miracle can take place where eyes will be added. This happens all over the world, church. Amen. For those who believe. 
that have their identity as a believer in Christ. These things are happening. Why? Because there's creative power there. He says, but we know you are a teacher. We know you're a teacher here. See, they recognized him as a good teacher. He had some pretty powerful, maybe authoritative things and did some nice little miracles and things. You may be a great prophet. You may be a great teacher. But they didn't yield to the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was the Messiah. This is what opened up the door for them because their identity wasn't correct. This opened up the door for them to where when Jesus started speaking, he said, you know, my father... My daddy started doing these things. They wanted to hang him up from a tree. Why is that? Because that's, that's heresy. You can't say that. Same thing that people start getting irritated when I start talking to my father and calling him daddy. Yeah, man, it still irritates those religious devils to this day. And I'm telling you, we, once we get into that place of, of intimacy with him, you'll, you'll find him more as your daddy than you do as our father who art in heaven. Amen. He, he'll be your daddy that you can curl up into his lap and begin to love on him. And Jesus, uh, here in, uh, in verse 3, it says, And Jesus answered, and he said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless he be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, church, there is a, a seriousness placed on this verse. There is a seriousness placed on this verse. He says, Unless you be born again, what's going to happen? You cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus himself is saying, unless, unless this one thing takes place, you're never going to be in complete union with me. You'll never see the union. You'll never live for eternity. You will have eternal damnation because you won't have the, the eternal kingdom living on the inside of you. And what is that? It's being born again. It's being born again. It's as simple as that. You know, last, I think it was last week, maybe the week before tomorrow, and I were talking about this verse here. And, uh, and we're talking about that. She says in the Russian translation, she says that it says to be born again, actually says to be born, of above, born from above or born from heaven, one of the two. Which, which one is it? Yeah, from born from above, from the Russian, Russian translation. You know? Now, if you go back into the, into the Greek lexicon and see actually what was being stated here, the, the Greek word for, not for born, but for born again, the again word, is the Greek word anothean. And it means to be from above. It means from heaven. It means, no, this is powerful, from their origin, from the origin, that source, or to be again. So it's to be born again, born from heaven, born from above, born from its origin. Listen, church, that is powerful. Listen, that is powerful when you understand what Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying, unless you get born again from the original source, amen, unless you get born again from this original source, this breath of God, unless it comes down upon you. You're never going to come see heaven. You're never going to see the kingdom of God unless the original source gets placed back on the inside of you. Why is that, church? Because when, when man came back down on this land, when he was created, one thing happened. God breathed into man and gave him life. And what's this talking about here? When we, If we don't receive that breath from God to give us life again, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're never going to participate in these things. I'm telling you, church, we were alive once until sin revived on the inside. This is what, is what Romans 7, 9 says. He goes, I was alive once without the law. I was alive once without the law. As I was a little boy walking around, I was, I was alive once without the law. But then the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. I got separated from God. And Jesus said that separation is only one thing you can do for that separation is allow God to breathe on you like he did from the beginning. Breathe his life back on the inside of you so you can be born again. You can be born from above. You can be born of heaven. You can be born from the original source. I'm telling you, church, that is so powerful. It's the only thing that will bring us back into union is allowing God to breathe his life union back on the inside of us. In verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? For he can enter into a second time to his mother's womb and be born. I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is, this is what most people think about this today. You know, how can, how can he be born again? I'm telling you, I'm six foot five for any of y'all that never met me in person. You're almost six foot five. I'm telling you, it'd be very difficult for me to go back into the mother's womb. Amen. But listen, Nicodemus, he was doing just like many of us do when we, when we begin to read the scriptures or we hear things being taught. We always want to take things from the carnal perspective. We don't allow 
We don't allow the Spirit of God to minister unto us. Listen, church, when you get into the Word of God, it's spirit to spirit. It's not spirit to your mind. It's spirit to spirit. It's deep crying out to deep. You know, when God breathes on us and you get a rebirthing, it comes into your spirit. It does not go into your mind. It does not go into your flesh. Now, we can read the Word of God with the Holy Ghost on the inside of us, and it will renew your mind. But see, that breath of God only does one thing. It changes your spirit, man, the one that's made in the likeness in the image of the living God. And then verse 4. How am I doing on time? Praise the Lord. And uh, verse uh, 5 here. It says, then Jesus, then Jesus answered, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I'm telling you, Jesus is some kind of amazing teacher. I mean, he just breaks us down so easy to where even someone in their carnal mind should be able to understand what he's having to say. But listen, even in this, many times a day, people are looking at these scriptures and they try to make something dogmatic about these things and take us out of grace, amen, and, put, and put, try to put you back under the law to where we, can, to where we have to do something to earn this. You say, what am I saying? When it says... I say to thee, unless a man be born of water and of the Spirit, many people will say, well, unless you get born of water, unless you get water baptized, you can't be saved. I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus was trying to say here. Why? Because it's solo Christo. And it's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus your baptism. It's not Jesus plus you getting baptized a child. It's not Jesus plus you getting baptized after, after you get saved. That's what's going to get you into heaven. No, no. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Hello, Jesus and Jesus alone, amen, is what the word says in Romans, what, uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess, amen, if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's not you, that you have to go get baptized. You don't have to get dunked into water. You don't have to get sprinkled. Listen, that's not, that's not what saves you. Amen. What saves you? A believing in your heart and a confessing with your mouth. Why? Because if you believe into your heart unto righteousness, the things you believe bring forth righteousness and the confession of your mouth brings forth salvation. Amen. So what we believe, when we believe what Jesus has done for us, it brings us into union. That right standing, that righteousness, it brings us into union. And then we and then when that union comes, we begin to confess these things. The fullness of salvation comes into your life. Healing, preservation, deliverance, rescuing, everything that God has for us gets released by what? By your confession of what? The things that you believe of being brought back into union with God. Now listen, church, water baptism is powerful. I mean, it's powerful. I mean, we'll have another baptism service here in, in June or July, one of these two, one, one, one of these days in, in June or July when things start getting warm because we're definitely not having one right now. Amen. But when things start warming up, we will have it again. I'm telling you, if you've never been baptized or if you got baptized as a child, I'm telling you, this is something you need to, you need to grab a hold of as someone that has the fullness of God being in union with God because it's powerful. It will deliver you from some things and it'll awaken some things in you when we do it, but it will will not save you. It cannot save you. you. Nothing you can do can get you saved. It's all about what he did that brings you into union. All you got to do is believe it and confess it. It's as simple as that. He says, Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. See, these two verses, they, they, go, they go together here. Jesus is saying, that which is a flesh is flesh. He's saying, if you're born of water, that which is a flesh is a flesh. What is he saying? If you are a human being that has been born of the flesh, born through the womb, that the water has broken and you've come through the birth canal and you've planted yourself here on the planet earth as a human being, you have met the first requirement to be receiving redemption, to receive being reborn, to receive even the breath of God coming upon you. Now, why did Jesus say these things? Because salvation is not for the fallen angels. Salvation is not for the demons. Salvation is not for Satan himself. Salvation is for one thing. It's for the humans that are on this earth, for God's creation, his, his children that he has here on this earth that he's trying, his family, as, as I guess you could say, amen. That's the only thing it's for. So for, Jesus puts a first requirement there. You have to be a human. You have to be a man or a woman here on this earth. And if you are a man or woman here on this earth, 
then that which is spirit is spirit. Amen. If you meet the first qualification, then you can receive everlasting life. You can receive the, the ruah. You can receive the, the breath of God coming upon you, which will change everything on the inside of you, which will help you to begin study the word, to renew your mind, and then it will also bring life back into your flesh. Amen. Powerful stuff, church. I'm telling you, powerful stuff. He says, marvel not, in verse 7, marvel not that I, that I said unto you that you must be born again. He says, don't be, a, don't be, don't be surprised or astonished that I say you've got to be born again. This is Jesus speaking. He said, the wind blows where, where it wills or it lists. And you hear, and, uh, and though you hear, you hear the sound thereof, you cannot tell where it comes or whether it goes so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Just as the wind blows and you can't see it, but you can hear it. You may even be able to see the dust and some of the rubbish blowing in the wind or the pollen or leaves. You can see these things blowing in the wind, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't, you don't know where it's coming, where it's going. He, can say, he says, so is the Spirit of God. So is the Holy Spirit. You may not, you may not see the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean he's not there. The Holy Spirit chooses to move as he, as he desires to move. You may not hear him. You may not see him. You may not feel him. But that doesn't mean that he's not there. Amen. That doesn't mean he's not ministering. doesn't mean that he's not in this house. I guarantee you he is. Amen. Why? Because I know for one thing, because I'm here. <laughs> Amen. And I take him everywhere I go. Amen. But, but I, won't, I won't just stop there. I'll also add to this that, that as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, as you get the breath of God on the inside of you and you get reborn, everything else around you begin to look at you and be able to tell there's something different. They'll be looking and say, man, I don't know what happened there. I don't know where it came from, but I can see some fruit from that man of what he's talking about now. That, that old man that he was, now he it isn't there anymore. That, that old man, that, he, that the things that he used to do, they're not upon him anymore because of, because of who he is and who he has become. Just a couple more verses here. It says, And Nicodemus answered him, he said, How can these things be? <laughs> Jesus, how can, these, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, You are a master of Israel, and you know it not these things. You are a master of Israel, and you know not these things. I say this to, I say this to, to any of the religious leaders out there, any of the, the leaders in the kingdom of God. You know, you are a leader in the kingdom of God, and how don't you know these things? How don't we know these simple things? The simplicity of the word of God when it talks about one phrase about being born again, born from above, and born from heaven. Amen. Instead of trying to put dissension and strife and division in the kingdom of God, we need to go back to the basic doctrines of Christ. Amen. And settle some of these things. Right? Instead, of start, instead of finding a way to persecute other believers. Amen. Bring division in a town. Bring division in cities, bringing division in a nation, bringing division on an island. Amen. We need to step out of religion and step back in and get our identity back in him. Amen. And this is where we get to the point here where it's two of the, probably the most famous verses of all time. The word says, for God so loved the world. Amen. For God so loved the cosmos, God so loved everything that he created, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe upon him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son in this world to condemn the world, but that through him this world might be saved. I'm telling you, church, we have a good God, and I am so thankful. I am so thankful for him. Amen. He loves you so much, church. He loves you so much he gave it all up for you. He, he loves you so much he came down here, even for the ones that, that don't decide to, to follow him. He loved you so much he gave you a new identity. He gave you the ability to have a new identity so you can step out of the old and walk into the things that he has for you. Amen. So, so let's pray. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for loving us so much, Lord, that even while we were your enemies, 
Lord, you sent Christ to die for us, to bring us back into this union, bring us back into the fullness of you. Lord, taking us out of the identity of who we used to be, the things that we used to think we were, and begin to walk in our identity in Christ, in him, in the King of kings, in God himself, as the sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to be born again from above. Lord, that we can be born again from our original source, Lord, having the, the breath of God once again fill us and allow us to be the men and women that you have destined us to be from the beginning. Lord, may this truth be ever settled in this land. Lord, may this truth be ever settled in this land. And may it bring forth a unity of your people, a unity in the kingdom. So we can stand strong in faith, stand strong in your word and fulfill the calling and the destiny that you have upon each and every one of us, Lord. Not, not allowing religion, not allowing um, uh, an identity of, of, what part of the, what part of town we grew up in, Lord, but having an identity in you and you alone, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We glorify you for it. Father, we take a hold of your word. In Psalms 91, it says, There is no evil that shall befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling place, Lord, for our identity is in you. We know that you sent your angels to take guard over us, to protect us, Lord, that we won't even dash our foot against the stone. We shall tread upon the lion and the adder and the young lion and the dragon shall we trample underneath our feet because, your word says, because we set our love upon you, Lord, you'll deliver us. You'll set us on high because we have known your name. We shall call upon you. You'll answer us. You'll be with us in trouble. You'll deliver us and honor us with long life, Lord. You say you'll satisfy us because our identity has been made new in you. Because we desire to be children of the Most High God. Pressed into the secret place. Under the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for our church. We thank you for these people. We thank you for the, our job that you've, that you've placed in our hands, Lord. We, we Lord, the yes, that you allow us to be an absolute blessing under our workplaces, Lord. That everywhere we, everywhere our souls tread, we will prosper these places, Lord. Everything we put our hands to, it will prosper, Lord. For we trust you. We trust the you that's in us. So we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the ambassadors of Christ you've called each and every one of us to be, Lord. Thank you, Lord, here at the Island Church. We are covered by your blood. We are empowered by your word, and we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.